I'm Ann Felice. And I'm Denise Cooper. And you're listening to Two Average Girls. Todd, thanks for being here. Really thanks, appreciate please. you coming out all the way from Sacramento to mm, be with us. It's a 50-minute flight. It's really not that far. Hey, it was a sacrifice and we appreciate it. It is. And it's a small world. <clears throat> it is a small world. And Todd is here with us today. And I we wanted to talk to you a lot about different things. But one of the reasons you're here with us today is because I find you very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not just saying that because you're in the room with us. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Todd is a lobbyist. And for those of you who don't know what a lobbyist, we're here to tell you what he does because Todd and I met about five or six years ago through a the association that we both that Todd works for mm -hmm. and that I am a member of this mm -hmm. Southern California Contractors Association or also known as the SCCA and what I didn't understand was how much politics plays in business and how much um well first of all I've never met a lobbyist before oh. my my impression of a lobbyist has always been uh like big corporation taking over something or somebody being kind of underhanded. Mm -hmm. I mean, lobbyists don't have the best reputation for people understanding what they do. So right. I wanted Todd here to talk to Ann and I a little bit about what you do. Sure. Also like to dive a little bit into how you got to be a lobbyist sure. and what that, you know, life path was. Mm -hmm. And we'll go from there. Yeah. So, so let's start with what does a lobbyist do? Yeah, what does a lobbyist do? It's <laughs> it's actually very simple to understand, but yet, like anything, the simple things are sometimes the most difficult to unpack. Right. A, a lobbyist is simply someone that attempts to influence policymakers. And that can range from, well, it's almost always dealing with government policies. And so the city council, state legislature or even congress there's lobbyists that are employed um that are attempting to influence policies one way or another who hires you as a lobbyist Give so, it just as an example yeah sure so the uh, the easiest comparison is to equate it to a lawyer where someone is hiring another individual to represent their interests that's about as far as the comparison goes because lobbyists unlike lawyers Lobbyists generally represent very large interests, industries, or unions, or other governments, rather than the very narrow interests of a single individual. Okay. Although there are, you know, examples. Apple has a lobbyist. You know, the big tech companies have oh. lobbyists. Ford has a lobbyist. Um, but those are. So we're we're going to jump into that complexity yeah. right away because yeah. when you're lobbying a legislature, and remember, I I haven't introduced myself completely. I don't have much knowledge about the city of Los Angeles mm -hmm. or Congress. My specialty is California government and the California legislature. Mm -hmm. So, which is in such great shape. 
Yeah, we, can, <laughs> we, can, we can talk about that. You I, couldn't I, hear the eye roll, but there was a yeah, gigantic was eye a, roll over here from all of us. Try to verbalize my eye rolls yes. a little better. Uh, it, I, I do want to make the point, though, that it, when you're lobbying the legislature, you want to avoid a situation where you walk up and say, I represent XYZ company, <clears throat> and if you pass this bill, we're going to make less money. Legislators won't care about that. Mm -hmm. So rather than having one company, it's far better to have all of the companies form a trade association because then that lobbyist is speaking for the entire industry. And it's far more impactful that way, which is why SCCA, one of my clients, the Southern California Contractors Association, has, has formed. It's a trade association. And now we have one person representing a vast range. Of, of companies. So you go in and do the bidding for a certain group, the transportation group. You go in as a single person representing all of those trades together rather than having in mass all, you know, all the representatives that they, you know. That's right. It, it would it's be just one person. It would be completely unwieldy to mm-hmm. have a hundred companies come up to Sacramento to lobby on a particular bill. Yeah. So those, and, and to be fair, SCCA wasn't created specifically for influencing uh, affairs, uh, legislative affairs. It was, is created more of, I'd say a a trade association, a network of companies together that through the involvement of the association said, well, why don't we get involved in Sacramento and politics? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where as, as a business owner myself, being part of that association until I got highly involved, I didn't realize that my small business has influence in Sacramento with a lobbyist. Mm -hmm. And from there, my interest in politics in general has changed because my eyes have been open to a bigger picture. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk today with you is that I think right now during a time I mean, more than any time in my life, we are seeing politics in a whole different in a whole different light. I know for a fact that people who have never voted one time in their entire life, this last election voted. Right. Because they were highly charged. Right. They were emotionally invested in a presidential election. Right. And you and I have talked about this um on as a side note that everyone was so up in arms about the presidential election and and what that was going to mean to them personally. And they were really invested. I mean, they were protesting, they Mm -hmm. were, they were rallying, they were doing all of these things. And the reality is the president of the United States really probably won't affect me Mm -hmm. personally. It could affect my business, but Mm -hmm. it's not going to really affect me personally on the level that my local government is going to affect me. And that's one of the reasons I wanted you to be here because you got me all jacked up on politics a little bit. <laughs> and sometimes nice. in a good way and sometimes in not a good way. But I think no matter what, and I'm we're not here to persuade anyone to be of any type of political aspiration or to look at politics from the eyes of the right or the left. What I'm saying is no matter what, as long as you're involved and you're informed and you're you're doing your part to be civically minded, right. it's got to help everybody. Mm-hmm. Because the people who are not paying attention, I mean, we're all seeing it here in California. We, 
we have people making decisions on our behalf and we don't agree with them. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the governor. It's not just the mayor. We're talking about city councilmen. Mm -hmm. We're talking about everybody that makes decisions with the money that we pay in and our livelihood. So we're kind of skipping all around, but Mm -hmm. just to kind of go through that, talk to us a little bit about what it means to be civically minded and and what can we do as people, as Americans, as Californians, sure. and anywhere else in the United States? Because we have listeners all over the United States. This isn't just about California. Sure. This is about everybody saying, huh, maybe politics does mean a lot to me. But I think most of us are intimidated by it. I don't know about you, Anne, but I mean, do you feel like your voice is being heard? Uh, no, and that's probably my own fault. I mean, do you do you agree, Todd, that there's a lot of sort of complacency and that's kind of how we've gotten where we're at? Absolutely. There's tremendous amount of complacency across the country. And and what's really, you know, there's lots of parts to what, what Denise had said. But I think we as a society are so in tune with the news and with what politicians say. And Denise hit upon it a moment ago when she said, yeah, you know, does Trump do presidential politics really affect me? And the reality is, I'd say for most people, no, it doesn't. Executive orders, even laws that Congress pass, I would say 99% of those, I'm pulling that out of thin air, but 99% of those don't affect individuals at all. And so it's, it's tough because we're constantly fed through the media as well as social media, all this information, and we're smart people. We absorb that. And a lot of us, and I I would also say most of us, are very empathetic. Now, we care about other people. We really, really do. And when we see that negative news and we're, we're constantly consuming it, we think, oh my gosh, I am so overwhelmed. But the perspective is lost because a lot of those issues don't affect the person that's reading it. My mother's the perfect example. You know, she's in her late 60s. She's at home. She's watching Fox News and CNN all day long. Yes. And she's she's overwhelmed with those things. Uh, and so upset. And and angry. Yes. Yeah. And very very angry, but there's a complacency that plays because my mom's not engaging otherwise. She's voting, but she's she's not engaging. Right. And there are things you can do on a local level that eventually will make a difference. And if you want to model how to do that, take a look at the Democratic Party. Mm. Model what the Democratic Party does. Here's, Here's the problem, right? Republicans in general, and I'm generalizing, of course, because there's always exceptions. Republicans in general, you know, those that go off to college, uh, go get their, 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 business degree, and they go work in an industry somewhere. Democrats follow some type of activist platform, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. They go work for a union, Mm -hmm. they organize, or they work for a campaign, they organize, and after a few years of that, they run for office, a local office. Then they get elected to the next higher office, maybe a city council or a county supervisor. And then they get elected to the legislature and then to Congress. And so there's the Democrats have developed a tremendous farm system for candidates 
while Republicans really think government out of sight, out of mind until it affects them like it has to Denise, then they engage. Republicans don't have a real farm system. Why? Well, because generally speaking, Republicans are business people. That's right. And they don't want to engage in government unless it comes in and slaps them in the face. Right. Well, and part of that is you hear a lot of Republicans, especially business owners, small business owners, even bigger business owners say, I don't have time for that. I work. Yep. I can't Absolutely. tell you how many times I heard that mm-hmm. during the protests, whatever protest people were involved in. Mm-hmm. I heard, I got to go to work in the morning. I don't have time to be out there protesting. Mm-hmm. What good does it do? Mm-hmm. But you're saying that it, that they've already culled their people from the time they were college age, and now they're all oh. coming together with strength. Yes, and and don't be fooled. The protests, especially the ones that, well, and I can't speak for all protests across the country, but the protests that we saw in Sacramento, mm-hmm. some of them were violent. Yes. Um, they were there every single day, marching through the streets. Those were organized. I don't know who they were organized by, but there was someone behind the scenes finding these individuals that are interested through one network or another, having them go to Sacramento and march. And I had a conversation with a, an officer who told me, yeah, I was on the way home and this particular officer was working one of the, the protests. And well, I can comment on, on that job in a moment, but yeah. this particular officer <laughs> said, I was driving home. He lived up in the foothills and he got rear-ended. And the person that rear-ended him was a participant of, in, in the protests and she was driving a rental car. And she didn't have the rental agreement. So she, she had a phone number of a person that said, hey, if you get in trouble at all, just text me and I'll be there. And she did that. And the officer waited. The lady in a, a big Mercedes rolled up and produced the rental agreement. That person didn't even live in California. The person that, that was in the fender bender with the officer. So, it, okay, the, here's another lesson to be learned. This is like... You just taken the, the Wizard of Oz. I've just the curtains <laughs> behind been, the curtain. Behind the curtain, I didn't know what we see on television, and what we see in the media, as you know, someone in communications knows. And mm-hmm. it's all perfectly scripted. It's all scripted for some type of audience, mm-hmm. right? Very few things happen naturally anymore. Mm-hmm. And we can we can talk about you know political consultants and. And, uh, you know, their operatives and, and how a lot of even some of the press reports that you see now are written and prepared by professional political consultants that shop around to the newspaper editorial boards across the state and across the country, right about this topic. And mm-hmm. one we're seeing now, and it's, I, I'm starting to see various themes is you know, the recall of, of Gavin yeah, Newsom. Mm-hmm. That now you're starting to see uh, the LA Times write opinion for those, pieces. For those on who it. don't know who Gavin Newsom, which I think everybody in America has heard of Gavin Newsom because he's the poster child of what not to do in, in, in times a, in of a, a pandemic. Yeah, during, oh. a pan- during almost anything <laughs> mm-hmm. in, in any state, mm-hmm. but he's our governor. Governor of California, Gavin Newsom. Yes. Now, I'm a little surprised that this. So, so finish saying you, you're insinuating that there are 
paid people who are pushing out this agenda to the media about Gavin Newsom getting recalled. Yes. That's that's a Republican view. Is it not? The Democrats are the, they the, looking to recall him? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think not yet. I, I think they're starting to circle the wagons. And the, the latest news this afternoon, uh, which Tuesday, what's what's the date? The 28th, 29th, I think, 29th mm-hmm. of December. Mm-hmm. There was a very large contribution to the recall effort from an Orange County business. Half a million dollars for six figures that went in. And maybe we should talk a little bit about the recall yes. uh, briefly here because yeah. the, the, there is a serious concern by the Democrats about a recall effort. They don't want him recalled. They do not want him recalled. I, I, I think they will circle the wagons and, and try to protect him. But let's put some things into perspective here. Okay. And I, I pulled some numbers and, and my staff this morning even pulled some numbers. Would you, both of you, be surprised to know that out of every single state in the United States, California had the most raw votes for Donald Trump? What, what do you mean by raw votes? Six million votes for Donald Trump in California is the most out of any, any state. Any single state. Florida and Texas were behind by a couple hundred thousand votes. So even though registration, the rates, and we can talk a little bit about lies, <laughs> damn lies, and statistics, mm-hmm. even though registration far favors the Democratic Party, there are 6 million Republicans in the state of California. Now, it takes a million and a half or so uh, petitions to qualify for a recall. A million and a half. So of those 6 million, you need a million and a half. Mm -hmm. And here's the real struggle. Now, remember, there's two questions. If a recall does qualify, there's two questions voters gets, gets. One, well, do you vote to recall Gavin Newsom? Mm-hmm. Yes or no? Mm-hmm. Secondly, here's a list of candidates. Pick one for the next governor. Oh, it's all in the same. Right. It is. And that's important to know because, of course, when Schwarzenegger yeah. was elected governor through the recall process, yeah. he received 48% of the vote. You do not need 50% of the vote to be elected governor or whatever elected office through the recall process. So it's a plurality. Mm-hmm. You could have 25%, 22%, depending upon how many people run for governor or apply for it. And I don't know that process, but it's something to remember. And that's why the Democrats are very, very concerned. Okay. And they're concerned for a variety of reasons. One, you Republicans are naturally not happy, but also on the left, I mean, believe it or not, you pick up social media, there are liberal... I'll call them progressive Democrats, mm-hmm. progressives that think the state should be locked down more. Yes. That think the guidelines, the health guidelines should be enforced mm-hmm. through, through the police. Yeah. So you combine the 6 million people that voted for Trump in California with a couple million progressives that are very upset about the governor not going far enough and the writings on the wall. Look out. It's time to start talking about recall and and for the governor to start defending himself. Oh my goodness! So I, you know, I I was listening to a talk radio show that talked about the recall efforts and how the recall is something that they believed that should be used more often. Mm. Meaning, it would give if if we actually used it 
and actually, instead of it being a threat or something that might happen or making it so difficult to happen that maybe there would be more accountability for the public, you know, to be able to influence because we vote for a person. Gavin Newsom didn't seem like he was a bad guy when he got in. I mean, his hair is fantastic. <laughs> and, you know, and I think he probably won because half the voters were women and they thought he was good looking. And he talks like, you know, he can just spin a tail like nobody's business. Right. Mm -hmm. So he has the, you know, that whole charisma and everything mm -hmm. about him that and, and how bad could it get? But now we're seeing what has happened. If we used the recall as a means to an end, so to speak, I mean, Gray Davis got recalled for, you know, raising taxes, something simple. Mm -hmm. We have got a situation here. And, you know, if, if we use the recall s situation and scenario, to me, no matter if you are a Republican or a Democrat, to me, that would keep people honest. Mm -hmm. And, and one of the things that just really bothers me about all of this is that we do have to talk in, in terms of Republican or Democrat, right or left. And Anna and I have had this conversation, you and I have had this conversation over and over again, and, and we deal with both sides of the aisle when we're dealing with our industry, because it, for us, you know, moderate Democrat, moderate Republican, to me, it's, it's all the same. And I pretty much feel like I don't even have a party that I can represent that represents me as a person because a lot of it is I feel like I'm a fiscal Republican and a social Democrat. Mm -hmm. That's where I would look at myself. I think a lot of people in California fall into this middle of the road and we sit here and we have progressives making major decisions because we know right now in Sacramento, do you, what are the statistics of what we have? And I, I I'm, I'm pulling this last minute and Todd's sure. not ready, really prepared for this, but I don't think that it's any different when you have a um, situation in California, like we have, which is their super majority, yep. super duper, majority. super, super duper majority. That is unbalanced and balance is really important politically, <laughs> right? Yeah. I've been saying that for 25 years. I mean, we, and I've even heard union people talking that, when you have this kind of unbalance, nobody wins. Mm -mm. You you have checks and balances in politics specifically for a reason. Mm -hmm. And having any one group of people making decisions, I don't want the Republicans all making a decision for me because right. they don't represent exactly how I feel. I think most people sit somewhere in the middle and we're pretty even keeled about this. We want to help others, but we also want to be responsible about right. how we do it or whatever the, the issues are. So when you talk about all of these things, and it is pretty discouraging as a basic voter to listen to it because where do we go from here? Yeah, I mean, how as, a, as an average person who has a job, who worries about their family and worries about whatever else is just in life, right. how do you have time to make a difference and really affect change? How do we do that? You engage. And what does that look like? It, I mean, you're it's, telling me social media and all these media outlets are going no, no, to be it's, the, it's, it's, the, it, the 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 it, big the big engagement in your community. That's right? it. I mean, that's and I've got a whole spiel about this. I don't know if I should get into it or not, but I'd love to hear your spiel. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, right. I mean, are we talking run for school board? Are we talking one it run for water it's district? Community. It's it's what your community is. What community 
involved in. Me, myself, I'm a school board member at my, my children's school. That's part of my community. We, yeah. And so what did I do to serve that community? And, and, and for me, when the governor had said, okay, we're going to start to allow counties to authorize schools to open, but there's going to be an application process for it. I thought, crap, that's what I do for a living. I take industry and I help it interface with the policymakers. So guess who was the one that sent the the 35-page document to Sacramento County requesting that that my son's school is open? I was the one that went through that because, you know, God bless them. The, The administrators at the school are smart. They know education policy. They can't talk bureaucrat like like i've done for the last two and a half decades so and we don't want it's community no we don't don't want so you took what you are an expert at and you gave back to your community exactly Mm -hmm. exactly so and and there's a broader point here that i want to i want to lay into just briefly because and i meant to look this up and i've seen the statistic before but you know we as a society and and you know I, i talked briefly before we opened up about my my great great grandfathers and, and grandfather farming in east eastern Sacramento County and 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 you think of them out there in East Sac County they are they have their own small community and they're depending upon each other for everything that they need. I mean they were essentially homesteaders, right? Yes. Think now how we live. We're, we're not in an agrarian society like we were 150 200 years ago. We're in big suburbs in big cities big urban areas and one of the things that connected us very recently were our churches mm-hmm. we've seen a massive decline i wanted to pull that number up and i didn't but we've seen a massive decline in people participating in their church right and the church itself brings in lots of people from its community and it takes care of them Michelle, my wife, when when my son was born, she needed help. She 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 felt like she was all day long with my son. She needed an outlet. The church that we attend has Heart to Heart, a program where it brought in young moms together, the children, infants taken away in, in a daycare, and the mom sat had coffee and they talked it was the community taking care of each other right if we didn't belong to that church who would who would provide a program like that and as we've seen a decline in 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 church communities it people are turning to look for help they they they, they want some service they want they want some connection they want some community right here in california and i think across the country we're seeing this trend rather than turning to their own community people are turning to government to help them mm-hmm. government is not was not created in this country to serve people in this manner but yet we're seeing progressives come in and say no we want the government to do x y and z we want to increase the minimum wage we want to make sure that there's time off paid time off for for family workers for for sick family members it's one burden after another where if you compare right if 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 my wife 150 years ago needed a break right and we're living in east sacramento county she would have ran down the street and say hey jan can you take care of aiden for a little bit 
I need to go for a walk on the river. That's gone. And that's being, there's a, but, but we as a people are very social people. We need that interaction. We need that feeling of community. Without it, people are turning to government. And that's why we've seen, I think it's pretty easy from my perspective to see the explosion of, of, of government. Yeah, because you're front row up there in Sacramento. I am, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see it time and time again. And you're, just to be clear, I'm still stuck yeah. on the lobbyist situation. <laughs> like, what? Sure. That's really a job? Um, <laughs> which I, I've known lobbyists. Did you my, make it up? I mean, did you just make this no, up? Like, no, 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 no. Uh, so you have to be in your job politically neutral. Yes and no. It depends, right? It, it depends upon the hat that I'm wearing at that time okay. and, and which client. For, for me, I'm blessed because I am representing commercial interests, business interests, and I'm representing non-political interests in a politically charged environment, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. a lot of the issues that we work on are business-to-business issues. Oh, okay. But that doesn't mean I haven't, once in a blue moon, things get very, very very political <laughs> and very hard. Really? Maybe we could talk about some of those experiences. Let's. Yeah, I, but he does wear a neutral hat. Right. If you speak sure. to him mm-hmm. and you did not know who he was mm-hmm. personally, you would not know what side of the fence he sat on. Well, that's what I was thinking when, when he was sort of giving his description of, of what a lobbyist does. Mm-hmm. As a person who's been in the news 25 years, sure. that was something that I was very proud of that I never gave away on set or as a reporter what my political affiliation ever was. And I feel like that's key for a lobbyist in a lot of settings. It it is, but it it depends on the setting, of course, right? And not to be flippant, but I I think it 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 depends. You know, sometimes the audience might might cherish that type of they need that knowledge. Yeah, right. That you're sort of you're one of them. Exactly. Yeah, I get it. Exactly. But at the same time, you know, I'm fiercely independent, and, mm-hmm. and some of our partners in Sacramento have said, told me so. Well, why are you the Lone Ranger up there sometimes? <laughs> and and that goes to to me as uh, through development, yeah, and, and how I've developed as a lobbyist and in, in my career, and and how as you know, years ago, someone told me, don't ever take on any partners. And through experience, seeing people depend on others too much and get burned later, yeah, because yeah. of it. So you were going to tell us a few uh, it got tense stories. Yeah, where you know <laughs> where I really earn my, earn my money. Yeah, I think yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's worth talking about. Yeah, and as I said though, the, these are commercial issues. These are non political issues that are thrust into a politically charged environment, and sometimes the politics gets so thick. And so ugly, but someone has to do it. Someone has to sit in that chair and stand up for the industry uh, that, in this case, I was representing. So uh, several years back, there was an awful accident in Berkeley. I believe it was Berkeley. It was Oakland, if I remember right. But there were some Cal students that were on a balcony. Uh, It was at the end of the year, and there were eight or so of them on this balcony celebrating the end of of the year and semester and the balcony collapsed and several tragically, several of the students uh, died. Uh, One of the students in particular uh, was an Irish uh, student. She was from Ireland and it ended up that this particular developer of the apartment building where the balcony collapsed had had quite a few 
civil claims against them for faulty work. So a legislator who came across the story said, well, you know what? I'm going to try to stop these balconies from failing, and I'm going to require every single contractor in the state to disclose all of the civil claims they've had against them. Okay? Yeah. Makes, makes sense, right? You, Which you, sounds you, right. It, it sounds it, good to the average person. It does, sure. in, until someone like myself explains to them, look, we live in an extraordinary, extraordinarily litigious society. Right. Any business that's been around for any amount of time has been sued. The information that they're going to glean from from this, all the civ that the state's going to glean, all these different civil lawsuits, it's meaningless because there are lawsuits filed every single day. So my client opposed this particular piece of legislation. Now imagine yourself in your nice suit. <laughs> you're representing contractors. You know this is not fair. And the person testifying in front of you is the mother of the deceased student. No. Mm -mm. Yeah. And mm -mm. she's up there crying her eyes out. Oh. She has a necklace that she's wearing, which was the last gift that the student ever gave her mother. And then you get some slick lobbyist coming in after her and saying, oh, okay, well, yeah, we're going to oppose this bill. Oh, there's just no right answer. You can't. I there's mean, not, but it's yeah. it's you know, I, I've said I think I've said this to you, Denise, several times. But you know, life is kind of like a chessboard. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes you're going to play the role of the king, yeah. sometimes you're going to be the queen, and sometimes you're going to be a pawn. Yeah. If that's true, then let's at least know what role we're playing. And I knew my role there. Yeah, I had to represent the industry i had to articulate to them that look we acknowledge there's a problem and, the, and of course the first thing i did when i testified was you know gave the the lady my deepest condolences because i as a father i i couldn't imagine no. i absolutely couldn't imagine no the issue though the solution didn't fix the problem that's correct. It, it wouldn't that's correct but it doesn't mean it wasn't hard because no. here's a woman up there saying don't make my daughter's life meaningless. Yes. Pass this bill. She wanted something good she to did, come to out come, of that. Even if it was a flawed proposal. Well, and that's the other thing is that, uh, as you said, the, the average person would look at that law and go, that sounds good. That sounds good. But as someone who is directly related to the construction business, as well as Denise, as you said, you're in business for any length of time. There's going to be a lawsuit mm -hmm. or two. Mm -hmm. And I think all the public sees is, oh, my God goodness they've had five lawsuits let's fix that problem yeah. it doesn't matter what the solution is who right. cares let's fix the problem oh great it it passed but it well did it pass it didn't no it didn't no we, we defeated it we we um we defeated it i think three times oh man mm -hmm. on and on the third time the senator finally realized okay this is not gonna work this isn't going well and so now he change the bill or change the proposal to require inspections of all apartment balconies well, every two years. Well, that's a solution. It seems like a more direct solution. That is a solution. It is. Can it happen? Who's going to be out there and enforce it? Okay. Well, mm -hmm. maybe the developers need to double down on making sure their products are, are truly safe. 
Yeah. It ended up, by the way, that the issue was there there was some fault. There was some rain and some uh, water uh, leakage that came into the... Yeah, yeah, seeped seeped into the cantilever, I guess, and and the structure, and it it failed. That was the reason why it failed. Oh, my goodness. Awful, awful story. But again, I think that really highlights... Yeah. One of the rules. I've got all kinds of. <laughs> so like it's a life day. is like a chessboard. I like it. Yeah. You just need to know which role you're playing. Yeah, isn't that true? It yes. is. It really is true. It really is true. So you talked a little bit about. Mm-hmm. Well, you talked a lot about what you do exactly, mm-hmm. and and how that affects um, change, and how what your role is mm-hmm. in politics, and in specifically in California politics. When you were little. <laughs> I mean, like a long time ago, like dream seven year old Todd, you know, skateboarding down the street. Ah, what would you? OK, yeah. Take a guess. What, what was the seven year old Todd? Doing? I mean, was seven year old Todd going, you know what I want to do? I want to wear a, a tie and a suit every day to work. I want to go to the, the Capitol and have a office that overlooks the big dome there. Mm. And I want to be a lobbyist because that is my dream come true. Is that what you I mean, how in the world did you? get into this position i know that you went to san diego state go we don't talk about that why because it was too much fun it (laughs) really was fun okay i'll put it it to you this way it was so much fun i was excited i got a d a d as in dog a d as in dumb in chemistry i was happy because i didn't have to repeat the class you passed i I got the credits for it i got the units listen you're talking to two average girls Mm -hmm. Uh, listen a c (laughs) was passing and i'm okay with that sometimes yeah you know i never told my kids that when they were in high school what's what's the saying that the a students become the engineers and the scientists and the b students end up ruling the world is that the b students end up employing the a students yeah exactly yeah exactly yeah yeah well we we have a whole mantra about being a b girl and and that's that's a whole other yeah. podcast, but yeah, sure. you want to be the B girl. Mm. And so, and sometimes a C girl. I mean, on yeah, a good day, I'm, okay. on a good day, yeah, I'm a B minus. Know. I want to hear more about the tales of San Diego. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's probably a whole other podcast <laughs> that we could do. Uh, I went to the University of San Diego. Oh, so USD. I, I went to USD and okay. I partook of a lot of the antics that took place at San Diego State. Oh, yeah. Montezuma Boulevard. Yeah. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. That 7-Eleven there, the oh, yeah. mm-hmm. busiest one in the, the nation. But oh, yes, yeah. we digress. Yeah. Uh, we do. And, we do digress. You know, so, I can tell you that the alcoholic beverage control used to hang out uh, out there too. <laughs> they just had their seat there. Just yeah. just why they would ask me what was in my uh, mm-hmm. my paper bag is beyond me and why I told them what was in it is another story. Because <laughs> yeah. you're an honest guy. I am so, an honest guy. It's so, a fault. So so here you are, you're seven years old. What, I'm seven years old. Todd Bloomstein. What did you want to do when you were seven? You wanted I, to be a firefighter. No. Okay. That was my guess. No, no firefighter. I was an altar boy. Really? Oh. Yeah. I, I um, Through my first seven years, seven classes, I went to a, a Catholic school, which is a you know kind of a blessing for me now because I was born with a Jewish last name and uh, raised at a Catholic school and now go to a, you know, a fundamental christian church <laughs> you've but, been everywhere yeah i have been everywhere but yeah todd bloomstein was a was an altar boy um i gosh i don't know what i wanted to do back then i one of the things i did do in, in san diego state was i thought i wanted to be a civil engineer i i did love legos i did like to build things that that was fun mm-hmm. and you know the san diego experience combined with looking around at my entry-level engineering class thinking okay these are not really my people yeah. <laughs> And I mean I that you. I'm far more of an extrovert than than I than I realized then, <clears throat> and so that went out the window. 
What did you get your degree in? Uh, government. Uh, oh. There's a, yeah. So I went to um, a California State University, Sacramento, which mm-hmm. we lovingly, lovingly refer to as Sac State. Sac State. Sac State. Well, being a NorCal girl, I'm from Reading. Oh, you are from Reading. Okay. Lots gotcha. of friends went to Sac State. Oh, and, yeah. um, Skipped a- right over Chico then, huh? <laughs> well, there, Chico has a very specific reputation. So if you're going to Chico, you may as well go to UC San Diego. I actually <laughs> spent a night in Chico once and yeah, I and woke up in a car. Oh, very cold. Well, they, I they, mean, they call it the pharmacy. The pharmacy? Yeah. Really? I've never heard that term but i know when i got my first job in chico Hmm. that that was the year they made the um best party school playboy best party schools i was Uh like great i've just graduated from brigham young university i wonder what's in store (laughs) what am i gonna see i can't believe they even let you in that city in the city yeah 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 yeah. it, it was a trial you know, yeah, for them. So, yeah, you didn't pass. <laughs> no, I didn't pass. I was no. going to pass. So how did you get to be a lobbyist? Uh, the, the the short answer is um, I worked in the Capitol for quite a few years. There's a much longer answer that includes uh, Yosemite Valley and ex-girlfriends mm. and pagers, oh. but maybe that would be kind of interesting. So Pagers? Uh, you pagers. Say pagers. Yeah, pa- remember pagers. You lived that pager life? You Heck had a pager? Yeah. Well, it was... Didn't you? No, I did. Do you think my son even knows what a pager is? No one wanted to get in touch with me. I mean, oh man, you never got the the eight one one messages, the call for information. I didn't have a pager. Mom would page you nine one one call right away. No, no, no. I didn't have a pager. Well, it was either. I'm older than you are, so I not by much. I I bypassed the pager. I was a Mm. freelance news person, so I they needed to get in touch with me with that pager, and then the only other people I knew that had pagers were drug dealers and doctors. Oh yeah, doctors. Doctors have always had, but there must be some. I have never sold any drugs before. In, <laughs> in my, just to clarify, no, not allegedly. <laughs> no, uh, truthfully Fact. and genuinely, okay. factually, I've never sold any drugs. So I was a junior in high school, and I went out to visit an, a girlfriend of mine and her family in Yosemite. Yeah, and had this little tiny red pick a Zuzu pickup truck, right? And so I was a student at Sac State. Making up for the losses at San Diego State, oh, I was on literally ended up being on the five and a half year program for yeah. a couple of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> you laugh. It was a well. I was too. The difference is though. I was too. I cut a check every semester for my tuition. I was living at home with mom. Mom was single, just divorced. Nine hundred and fifty dollars a semester uh, for Sac State. That right? was a lot, though. That was a lot, but it was manageable then. It was manageable. manageable. As a student working, well, I worked my tail off. I had three jobs at the time, but I could could write a check out of my own account, and I was proud of that. I was really proud. So so backing up, I was a junior. It was my, uh, let's see, junior, senior high school year, Mm -hmm. leaving Yosemite Valley. There's no cell service, of course, until you get out of Madera, or I forget what the name of that town is. And next thing I know, my pager starts blowing up. I make a phone call. It's somebody who needs an assistant, a, a temporary assistant in a lobbying firm in downtown Sacramento. And they thought I would be interested in doing the job for a month. So that was my first exposure to downtown Sacramento politics and, and lobbying. And I thought, wow, downtown's great. Yeah. This is fun. This is a central area. There's lots of people around. There's good looking women at the Capitol. <laughs> And I thought, oh, I could definitely do this. I, yeah. I really, really could. And by the way, I did meet my wife at the Capitol. So did you? Oh, yeah, I did. Well, at Sac State, that's a different story. Okay. okay. Um, so that was my first experience. And I thought, you know, coming out of San Diego State thinking, man, civil engineering is not for me. I don't know if I can handle the engineering types. 
getting up to to Sacramento and thinking, wow, I could do a government program. And mm-hmm. I got into their poli-sci government program and and that's where it started. But mm-hmm. th- that was really the, the, the origin, that origin, that one month wow. was really a, a great exposure to me. Um, from there, I had a, a class at Sac State. It was California government and it was taught by a sitting assemblyman, uh, Phil Eisenberg, who happened to be the mayor also of Sacramento previously. And Phil is still, he's now a lobbyist, absolutely great guy, fantastic Democrat, traditional liberal Democrat, right? Mm-hmm. Not the progressive types, but just a, a liberal, hardworking Democrat. And he encouraged those of us that were interested in working at the Capitol to apply for an internship. Uh, internships called the Sacramento Semester Program. It accepted about, I think, 15 or so of us. And the applicants were only from the CSU schools. Mm. I put an application in thinking, well, who knows? Yes. And I was accepted. <clears throat> that was my junior year in college. Wow. So I was able to fulfill 12 units of my school by working at the Capitol every day for three to four hours a day. Mm-hmm. And at the end of my internship, one of the best meetings I ever had, chief of staff took me to lunch and said, we want to hire you. Mm-hmm. We want to hire you to take care of the assembly member's schedule. So literally filling out his schedule and mm-hmm. taking requests. Mm-hmm. And you can work on some legislation. And that's where it started. Wow. I worked my way up through that office um, and uh, was running his capital office in 2001 when a retiring lobbyist for SCCA asked if I'd be interested. And I said, sure. And it ended up that previous, the person, the legislator I was working for was a contractor, was an engineering contractor. My first job was as with helping my uncle as a roofing contractor. So I had some experience mm-hmm. with the contracting industry, which was very attractive to SCCA, even though I was literally the shingle boy on the roof, right? (laughs) Hey, Todd, come get the shingle. Hey, Todd, go pick that up. Hey, Todd, go. I mean, that was my job, but it was, it was attractive. Somebody who'd worked in the industry and had really good experience uh, within, in the capital. And, and from that one month summer answering the phone job in the lobbying firm, I realized that if I wanted to be a lobbyist, there are three things I needed to to really know, I had to have knowledge about the political system, the legislature, I had to know the, the politics behind all the different movements, if you will. And I had to know the people, the players, players. and not, not in a personal sense, but, you know, I can pretty much, if I read, if I don't know what a bill is doing, and if I see who's supporting it and who's opposing it. I can probably figure out what it's attempting to do because I've got that experience in knowing, okay, here's all the groups and here are their aims. Yeah. So, so you've really, and I say only, you've only been a lobbyist since 2001. So 19 years. March 15th will be my 20th year. Is that common in the lobbyist game to be that, is is longevity a thing? Yeah, it it really is. And it's kind of interesting you mentioned that, Anne, because- one of the dynamics that I've really seen is that those people stay, the lobbyists stay a long time mm-hmm. and then they retire mm-hmm. and then the clients start looking for, okay, who's going to represent us now? 
so for me, I, I've seen that personally. I've been a benefactor of that dynamic. Yeah. And I've always thought, I guess it's my idealism. I've always thought, well, you get more business by just doing good business. Right. Well, the reality is something a little bit different, you know, at least in this, this experience. It can be truly through attrition. Oh, right. Yeah. Todd, thank you for that information. One of the reasons Todd and I are are familiar with each other, and I think we've talked a little bit about this, is that we work together through the association that I'm, I'm I'm a part of. And I didn't realize how important lobbying was until he and I and many others have started working on different aspects that actually affect my business. Doing business in California is very, very tricky. And trying to maneuver through all the minutiae and really the horse crap that is what you call legislation, to be honest with you, um, would almost be impossible for anybody to do without somebody like a Todd to help them go through it. And Todd and I have just recently experienced something that really brought, brought this home for me. Our industry in California, in order to do anything, and Todd, you can back me up on this because we have these conversations all the time. The regulations are atrocious here in California. Some of them are understandably important for the environment. And, you know, everybody thinks you're either for the environment or against it. But a lot of what happens in our industry as builders is that we get the brunt of everybody trying to solve all the world's problems. And they're doing it on the back of small businesses. I'm a small business. And when you decide as a legislator that you're going to put some sort of regulation on, for example, concrete, (laughs) which is what we just experienced. Todd, tell us a little bit about the process that we just went through and how it directly affected. It could have really affect millions of dollars worth of things, not to mention small businesses actually putting small business out of business because of law, because of legislators kind of willy nilly deciding that this would be a good idea without really looking at the big picture. Right. No, it's, that's, that's, that's a great point. And it's, I think the best way to look at it, frankly, is is to really take a look at uh, the issue of perspective, right? So, Denise, you have your particular perspective on a proposal yet. And let's use um, an environmental group, right? They may have another perspective and think, wow, this is the great best way to solve the environment. Uh, we act, we, we enact this policy and we're going to save uh, the earth and we're going to reduce greenhouse gas emissions without first appreciating what everybody else has to go through in their perspectives, uh, which is why the capital and our system of governance is such a great place because all these people with different perspectives can come to one place and essentially fight it out, uh, share their perspectives and, and, and try to understand each other. Well, the good ones, at least we'll try to understand each other in order to make deals. And, and, and that's essentially um, what, what the capital and the legislative process is all about. People coming together, exchanging ideas, having the legislature consider them and producing a, a particular product. Now, for us recently, uh, we had, an, and I'll put some context here, we, we had what I would consider an awful bill for the construction industry. Um, it was rather complicated, but, but I'll put it to you this way. What, what the bill proposed was, in addition to a contractor bidding on a project and, and coming up with um, a, a, a financial number to complete a project, this particular bill said, if 
the contractor uses any concrete in this project, they have to have a minimum level of greenhouse gases used to produce the concrete. So that would include the delivery truck to the job site. That would include mining the aggregates, because of course concrete is made up uh, is made up of of rock, sand, and some cement, some fly ash. Right? fly ash, all those materials have to be quantified. And if the contractor can't meet that particular uh, greenhouse gas emission level, well, then they don't get the job. And so from an environmental perspective, they think, hey, this is a great way. We're going to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And the construction industry says, well, hang on a second. This is really going to jeopardize um, our process because, number one, contractors love to sue each other when they lose. Uh, if you're the number two or number three contractor uh, on, on a job, they're going to end up challenging the winning bidders uh, numbers and that's going to slow down delivery of, of the projects. Um, and we don't have control over who delivers it and who produces it. It's all coming from a supplier. So uh, we were able to have a conversation with the author, um, with some of the sponsors, and we defeated that bill. Uh, we defeated it because we showed him our perspective. And that's, again, there's multiple levels of beauty here, frankly. It's, there's beauty in the sense of there's a centralized place where we can exchange ideas. But even more fundamental is a public's ability to enter into the legislative process and influence it. And, and that's, frankly, I think, part of uh, the founding of, of our country, for um, our country to be um, governed by the people, for the people. And, and that, in my mind, is, is one manifestation of, of, of that principle. Um, so, you know, that's, that's what a lobbyist does. I, I, I have no secret files. I have no secret access. The door to the Capitol is the same door that every other person from the public um, enters through. I enter through the same one. The only difference is I'm paid to do these things um, because it takes an extraordinary amount of time and resource and knowledge and experience to be able to get in there and, and to be uh, uh, entirely effective. So I hope that answers kind of the, the, the question there, Denise. It does. I think that for me, when I started this journey six or seven years ago of really getting involved with the association and specifically legislation, as my role at my company has kind of evolved from just being president and CEO, now as I'm going to talk, try to take a step back in my, the legacy of the succession plan is going to come into play. I still see my role as staying on as something to do with legislation because I didn't have any clue when I was just, I'm a small business owner, a women-owned business. I had no clue how much legislation really does affect my, my livelihood. I don't think the average person understands what that is like. Um, you just think that, you know, like, let's say you go to a restaurant and you think that it is just, oh, they're just trying to, you know, put out a good product and, you know, make enough money to feed their families. If COVID didn't teach us anything, we're seeing that legislation literally has changed. Well, it's put people out of business, literally. And so my perspective used to be that, you know, I could go there and possibly make a change. Or if I did, I, I didn't really know how to do it. Now, my perspective is I need help to do that. I mean, it is pretty complicated for the average person. I mean, there is grassroots people. People can, I, I would never want to tell people, hey, you're not going to be able to get something passed unless you have a lobbyist. That's probably not the case all the time. But on some of these pretty extensive things or pretty important things, the people 
aren't really welcome into people's offices. I mean, you could go into the office, but you're not going to probably get some kind of legislator talking to you, would you, Todd? If if you decided like, hey, I don't like the fact that the speed limit down my street is a certain speed limit, could the average person get that changed? You know, I I don't think so. Um, I, I think it 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 takes. Um, you know, the, I think the average person can walk into the Capitol and have a conversation with, frankly, anyone uh, from from the governor down. You know, uh, I think most people in the building uh, have a lot of respect for uh, for Californians and, and they'll listen. Whether or not it's actionable is, is another question. Mm-hmm. And what really matters, I think, Denise, is, is not understanding the ins and outs of every policy. It's not understanding... Uh, the, the the process or even the players. What's important for people to understand is just engagement matters. Get involved. You don't have to understand everything. There's people around that, that that'll help out. Me being one of them, I'll I'll help guide you. But there's nothing better than sitting down with a legislator, um, you know, and having being able to bridge the gap between the decision maker and the industry. Because no matter who the industry is. Policymakers want to hear from industry, especially those, um, especially those that are um, in, engaged in an industry that they're very interested in. Um, you know, if they have a, a policy that they're working on, that level of engagement is absolutely critical to the success of of of, of, of any type of association or industry. Um, and and what's really fascinating, and and you know, it's we could talk about assessment, right? How do you how do you assess whether or not an, an effort is successful or not successful. And there's a couple of ways, you know, we, we run a bill here, here and there, um, you know, the contractors with our group run one every five years or so. So it's, it's rather infrequent. Um, but when they, when we do run them um, and because we don't run a bill simply to run a bill and trust me, there's a lot of people out there that say, Hey, we need to do a bill. Well, we're not doing that. We're, we're waiting until there's a, a critical issue and we've developed capital and we can talk about an issue and go, okay, these guys must be serious because they're not out there, you know, with 20 bills every single year. Um, so that's one way to assess. Uh, are they being successful in their influence in writing legislation? Are they successful in defeating legislation? But here's the one that's really, in my mind, if you really want to hit a milestone and to see how influential a group is, it's when the legislators and the policymakers start asking you for your opinion. And that's key. That's critical. That's when that's when you know you've become part of the institution is when uh, the government starts depending upon industry to set its own rules and, and policies. That, in my mind, is, is you know, the number one thing to strive for and to look out for when, when, when you get it. Knowing what we know, and the average person doesn't see behind the curtain, right? Like we know who, we know what Oz, we know what he looks like. We know what the wizard actually looks like. And it's not as pretty as you would hope for. And sometimes it's a little frustrating. Do you think that we will ever get to a place where on a regular legislators are trying to seek information from the experts or from the, the constituents in general, it seems as if right now there's a trend where people are in where they're supposed to be in, in their perspective, um, you know, assembly seat or Senate seat. And they're just trying to like all hands on deck. I'm going to make a change here. We're going to make something happen and let's get it done. 
I don't know if we've talked about it at all, but we talk about term limits. And a lot of times people think term limits are the key to everything. And I, you've taught me that that's not the case for some of this. No, it's, I, I, I strongly think that if, if you need to, to hire a bricklayer, then you should hire a bricklayer. If, if you need a, a union organizer, then hire a union organizer. And if you need a policymaker or a legislator, then hire a policymaker or a legislator. I, you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's term limits aren't really, I don't think the solution um, because you've, you get to a point where, um, with short term limits. And, and now we're at a point where we're finding some balance, you know, legislators can serve 12 years. Uh, previously, it was six years in the assembly and eight in the Senate, and they could switch, right? So they could do six in the assembly and then go do eight in the Senate. Very few of them actually did that, by the way. Uh, but it, it takes six years to find out where the bathrooms are in the Capitol. <laughs> it, it truly does. And and, you know, as, as successful people as legislators are, they're thinking down the road, too. So, um, you know, after they get that first term completed, they're on year three. They're thinking, crap, I'm halfway through with my legislative term. What am I going to do next? Oh, I better get some attention uh, by the press so I can go out there and, and reach higher office. Um, and, you know, we've seen through the various administrations and uh, federal administrations um, and, and even some in Congress now where, you know, if you're legislating and policymaking by uh, headlines, by attracting headlines, it's, uh, yeah, we're, we're doomed, frankly. Um, so I, I hope that helps. Yeah, I, I definitely think um, to, to, to your question of do legislators listen to, to, to people? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Do they, they, they do. Um, the thing is, right, um, legislators are here for a set term. Interests are here forever. And so you can have a legislator, and I'm thinking of one example right now where you know, there's uh, a bill that we're having trouble uh, with dealing with micro-trenching, which sounds like a great idea. Micro-trenching is nothing more than cutting a, a, a line in asphalt or concrete and, and putting a fiber optic line and connecting it and quickly giving high-speed internet access to- It sounds people. really like a good idea too it when you first hear great. it. great until you got to repair the damn road. It's, mm. it's embedded in the road. And so in order for a contractor to repair that road, they have to disconnect it. Uh, that, and that assumes and that they know it. that it's there in the first place. Um, so we're working on language that says, look, contractors aren't going to be responsible for replacing that. And we're, we're not going to be responsible if we damage it um, because we didn't know it was there in the first place. So, um, you know, this legislator may not necessarily do our language, take our language right now. But, you know, I'm going to ask next year. And if we don't get it next year, I'll ask the year after that as well. So there's a longevity that comes with, with being... Um, in a, a position of influence for a long period of time, because frankly, you know, interests, special interests or other any interests. And I don't mean that in a derogatory sense, uh, but they'll outlive some of the legislators as far as their terms go. So we talked about headlining and we talked about the process. And it seems as if, again, it seems as if a lot of legislation is headlines and, you know, shock value. And let's just see what sticks, you know, let's see what crazy, 
crazy thing we can stick out there and let's see if anyone's paying attention. Right. And half the time our country and especially Californians are not paying attention and they don't understand what they're dealing with. And I think a perfect example of that is how we've seen people protesting, thinking that the protesting and I'm I'm kind of for protesting. Anna and I have talked about this. She's not a big protester. We had a, a pod. I think that we talked about that where she just wouldn't go and protest. I would go protest if I really felt strongly about something. But I also know from my years of experience um, that the protest probably isn't going to get me what I want. People might see me, people might hear the yelling and screaming, but it really doesn't get you anywhere. The process itself that we're talking about is super important that everybody understand that if you want to get something done, you have to go through the right process. Now, a lot of people, I think the average person is like, well, this process sucks. It should be, you know, more, less, less politics and more for the people. But this is where we're at. It seems as if people think that the louder they get and the more, you know, crazy or violent even that they get, the more impact they're going to make for change. And I think there's something to that personally. I think that I like. I like protesting in a way because I think it gives people the outlet that they need to feel like they've made a change. My biggest concern is, and a lot of the younger people, and I sound old when I say this, seem to think protesting is what they do um, by posting something on Instagram and then go marching in the middle of the street to shut down the roads. And then they go about their business and yes, we should see change. And that really isn't what happens. No, it's that's not effective. And, you know, shutting down roadways is is not effective. Um, Collecting people, um, organizing people, having rallies can be effective. Uh, The issue is, are they using that? How are they using that energy? And where is it being focused? I'll give you two quick examples. Uh, We had in Sacramento, where, where I live, I live in a in Elk Grove, which is just outside Sacramento. There was a, a horrible shooting where uh, Sacramento police officers shot a man um, in his grandmother's backyard and it ended up he was shot in the back and a lot of protests came out because of that. Um, And his brother helped organize a a protest and I watched some of it on, on Facebook Live and this man initially was all over the place, right? Shutting down roads. He literally, literally jumped on the dais at the Sacramento city council uh, chamber during a hearing. I mean, jumping up and down, it was, it was awful. I watched him last year in 2020. And I think the shooting occurred in like 2018, 2019. Here he is in front of a crowd, probably three, four, 500 people there. And he led them on a March to the Sacramento DA's office and to the jail they shut down roads, but they didn't just shut down roads to shut them down. They, they were marching, came back to a park, and he gave an impassioned speech about how we need to make change in the political process and that he was going to run for office. And he wanted people out there to support him to run for public office. Hmm. That's effective. That has purpose. I'll give you a second example of where uh, of a missed opportunity. January 6th. President Bush has a giant, President Bush, President Trump has a giant rally. And what President Trump failed to do was appropriately focus all the energy of the thousands of people that were out there. Instead of focusing that energy on the Capitol 
and trying to shut down uh, the electoral process. What President Trump should have said was, thank you all for coming out. Now go home and run for office. Now go home and run for your city council, your county supervisors, the dog catcher. Go out there and change our system from within. Not blow it up, not destroy it. Right. So I think, I, yeah, so I think protesting um, in and of itself is not effective. I think the question that has to be asked is, how is that energy used? And I would suggest for those organizers out there, um, work within our system, work within the process. If you don't like the process, our, change our government's awesome. Go change it. There's a process to change it, you know, and I, I could I'll also mention too, you know, there, there was a time where people could own other people in this country, as awful as that could possibly be. Our country was wise enough to allow it to change on its own, and it did change. And that's how we came about with all the civil rights and, and protections that we, we have now, because the system changed itself. We don't need to blow up the, the, the system, Just change it if, if, if we don't like it. I think that's really hard for people because they want it changed immediately. It needs to be changed now. And in fact, not only does it need to be changed now, the history needs to be changed. So I think people uh, have a hard time, you know, wrapping their head around the fact that there is a process. You have to go through the steps. And if you want to see change, you have to actually put yourself into the system in order to affect change. And for fear of being argumentative, I, I but I, I'll be argumentative. Please do. How's that? Yeah, yes. how's that? let's um, do it. I think there's value in things that change slowly. I agree. I think things that that change quickly are superficial, and the next, um, it's it's it, you know we we use this we use this in in legislature. You know, writing a, a law is like writing on the beach. The next big wave that comes up washes it away, right? Oh my if, gosh! Yes, right. I mean, yeah. it's so true, and 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 the same is true there as well. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, we, if, if any change is going to be meaningful, it needs to be hard. And I'm sorry, younger generation out there listening, but hard things bring value. Difficult things bring value. Challenges bring value. Things shouldn't be extremely simple when you're dealing with organizations and, and structures. I think for me, when you and I first started working and you've had to talk me off the ledge a few times for different things, um, and one of the things that you have always said is this is a long game. This is a marathon. This is not a sprint. Everything that we're doing to make change has to be looked at as a long-term event, not something that just happens. And for me, instant gratification and for all the young people out there I'm in, in our society, that's what we're about, right? We're about making a change right here and now. I think that you have to be very cautious of groups and people who want change to be swift? No, it's, it's, you know, I think said another way. I mean, let's, if you want lasting change, well, shouldn't it be difficult to change? Right. So let, let's say you get the instant gratification you know, to use the, the beach analogy again. The next person that wants instant gratification is going to change what you just did. And we're, we're, then we become unstable and uncertain and nobody flourishes in those systems. I mean, no. should, shouldn't, yeah, I, I could go on and on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you know, it, this is why we had you on because I think that 
I would love to see this next generation and even people that are of my own age and my, my groups of people who make a lot of complaints. I hear a lot of complaining. I hear a lot of, I, I see a lot of bitching on social media. And I think I would have respect for that if you weren't just being a social justice warrior every time you turn your phone on but you're really making a change. You know, you're volunteering at the soup kitchen. You are making sure that there are blankets for the homeless because you're collecting them on your own. You're doing the things, you're putting your money where your mouth is and you're making a change. I would love to see that. And I was hoping that people heard about the process a little bit, understood what I think your job is fascinating. I had no idea that was a job. Maybe I would have done it if I had that opportunity. I don't know. I'm pretty, I, I, I would, the one thing I think is very special about Todd is that he has a lot of patience and he has the ability to make relationships with people he doesn't necessarily like. I have a problem with that. Like there's certain legislators that I just won't even engage in because I can't stand them. I mean, like, you know, I just like, and he always talks me off the ledge, like, listen, that person is better than somebody else, you know, and, and there's always somebody worse, but, <laughs> oh, but. it's, they, it's not that they're better. Right. I mean, they are who they are. Um, and I, I think everybody uh, in, in, in state service or policy service um, has a caring heart. I, I really, truly do. It and, went and into that, it for the right reasons. Yeah. Yeah, really. And, and they did go into the right reasons. Um, they might have a different perspective than, than we share. But that's okay, and that's what the place is about. Although Denise, you did kind of steal my tagline, so I'm. I'm a I did. Bit you either stole it or you set it up masterfully. I, well, that I was think it. this she, is a segue. She what, set it so, up so, Todd, as you know, that all of our guests have a tag that they leave with with our with our audience. What is your tagline? Well, it has to do with soup kitchens, frankly, but oh, it doesn't have to do with soup. Kitchens. I did not know this, but we are on the same oh, yeah. wavelength. Well, it's it's service. It's, it's, it's serving others. And uh, I I think what I'd like your listeners to leave with uh, my experiences, uh, my my tag um, is to, to once in a while, preferably more often than not, set aside our own personal interests and put another person's interests in at, at heart. And it doesn't have to be an organization, right? It doesn't have to be the soup kitchen. Uh, it it could be as easy as you know merging on the 405, you know that or <laughs> that or or even being on the 405 and somebody trying to to merge um, at the last moment. Well, you know what? It doesn't take much to slow down and let that person in. And voila, what did you do? Well, you just served another person by putting their interest ahead of yours. You know, um, or uh, gosh, not to boast, but I was. Uh, I, I was down by the jail. I was not in jail. I was down I was by say, what the, were you jail doing in the jail in downtown Sacramento. And, you know, I had 10 bucks on me and I was at this fancy, fancy coffee place that my son loves. Shout out to Temple Coffee in downtown Sacramento. Um, and I had $10 cash on me. I was hot. It was like 110. Um, I went in, grabbed a cup of coffee with my five bucks. It was like $3.85 for a cup of coffee. Whoa. So I, I, you know, I left the change in there, got my five bucks and the, the worker was so nice. Like you're hot, have some water, sit down. And you know, this, this guy comes in and he's clearly just got out of, 
out of jail. He's got <laughs> tattoos all over his face. He's got gang tattoos on his forehead and he's got a couple bucks in his hand. And here I am, you know, in a suit, right? And uh, <laughs> hot as heck. You're a lobbyist. I'm a lobbyist. And they wear suits. And, and he said, um, and he said, how much for a coffee? And the guy said, $3.85. And I'm, you know, cooling off, hydrating. And I gave him my last five bucks and said, look, I'll I'll pay for your coffee. And he thought, and the first thing he said was, thank you. And the second thing was, he said was, are you a lawyer? <laughs> said, no, not, not a lawyer. Uh, but that, you know, and, and it's, it can be as, um, uh, gosh, as, as easy as paying for a, a guy's cup of coffee or, you know, I run a youth football program up here with 120 cheerleaders and football players. And I, I, you know, contribute hundreds of hours. Why? Because I want to provide a safe environment, a supportive environment for them to play football. I, I think if we all just a little bit, man, if we all just put our own interests, our own self gratification, um, to rest for a moment and maybe put another person's self gratification or interest, um, I think the world will be a better place. I really do. I agree. Thank you so much for joining us, Todd. We were really, really glad to have you on. I think we, I learned a lot just listening to you and Denise go back and forth. It's amazing what happens up there. Listen, you could learn a lot from me. You just need to stick with me. I try. I try. In the meantime, I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. We're two average girls. See you next time. Two average girls